Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journeys. Our relationship with them is very similar to a supportive venture capitalist relationship. So it's a very hands-on relationship, very close relationship. Critical friend is one of the ways it's been described. Venture capitalist, private equity firm will go through very thorough looking at every aspect of the organisation, quite testing. So it is a very engaged relationship and if people are just looking for the money, then venture philanthropy uh, isn't the right uh, partner for them. I'm very pleased today to introduce Stephen Dawson, a pioneer in the field of venture philanthropy in the UK. A former venture capitalist, Stephen was involved for 25 years with ECI, where he was until recently non-executive chairman. Stephen was co-founder of Impetus Trust, now Impetus PEF, the first British venture philanthropy company, which invests in charities and social enterprise that fight economic disadvantage. He was also a founder trustee of the European Venture Philanthropy Association. Stephen is also co-founder of Jakana Venture Partnership, which aims to tackle poverty in Africa by helping build a venture capital industry. He has received many awards for his work and was awarded an OBB for services to the voluntary sector in 2011. Thank you very much, Stephen, for taking the time today to speak to inspiring social entrepreneurs and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Can you tell me a little bit about your career? Uh, yes, most of my uh, career has been in the venture capital and private equity industries in the UK. Uh, I ran a, a firm called ECI Partners, which specialises in mid, mid-market uh, buyout transactions. Uh, I retired from my executive role there in uh, 2002-3. Uh, I later became a non-executive chairman, so I stayed involved in that sector until quite recently. Um, and when I was thinking about what I would do when I retired from that uh, sort of role, um, I wanted to do something in the social sector. I was fortunate in that I didn't need to work for a living and could actually give gifts money away as well as giving my time away. Um, but I had no experience in the charity sector. Um, the only thing really that was driving me was I was keen to make the maximum impact with my time and my, my money. Uh, so fortunately, I had quite a bit of time before I retired thinking about what I would do, talking to a lot of people, looking on the internet, uh, reading and uh, trying to find somewhere where I could add value. And in the course of those searches, uh, I came across Venture Philanthropy, which had been going for a few years in the US. Uh, it had mixed reviews. It was um, quite closely associated with many pe- in many people's minds with the dot-com boom. And at the time I was looking, that turned into bust. So a lot of people from the more traditional philanthropic world were saying, well, these smart-ass people coming from the business world thinking they know better than we do in the charity sector. We've been in this all our lives and see what happens. They can't even run a business successfully. So there's quite a backlash against this, and we were very conscious of that when we uh, set up Impetus, that we should not work, not be seen as a competitor in some way to the social sector, but work very closely with it, and and I think that's something we did uh, pretty successfully. So uh, when I realised that this was a, a suitable model, model where people like me were able to contribute, to add value. Uh, I looked around to see who was doing something like this in the UK or or even in Europe, and nobody was. So that's when I decided to set up Impetus. 
Right, uh, very timely. Can you tell me a little bit about Impetus and, and its early years? Uh, yes, well, um, perhaps just to say a little bit about what venture philanthropy is, and I will, in, in the various comments I make, I will draw heavily on Impetus, Impetus PEF as it now is, because that's where I have, uh, that's the example I know best. But uh, venture philanthropy is, is a package of support for small, ambitious charities who are keen to scale up. And it is based very heavily on venture capital and private equity methods, which is why I felt I could add value. So the three elements, long-term strategic funding, funding for the infrastructure of the organisation, hands-on support from the impetus team, who are now very experienced in the sort of issues that these small, ambitious charities face. And then the third element is pro bono projects. So we bring in a range of consultants, experts in particular fields, who work for the charities, typically three, four projects a year, and they work very high caliber people working on a pro bono basis. So that's a definition of venture philanthropy generally. And and just to sort of finish off on venture philanthropy before turning to impetus, um, it has become a worldwide movement over the last 15 years or so. So it's obviously started in the US and is strong over there. It's developed strongly in Europe and in Asia, and the there are I mean, was involved in setting up the European Venture Philanthropy Association. Some of the people involved in that have also set up the Asian Venture Philanthropy Network, and those two organisations combined have over four hundred and fifty members. And there are plans to set up in Africa and South America. Uh, so it is very much a worldwide movement. Um, to uh, turn to impetus, uh, we have been through quite an evolution over the last uh, fifteen years. Uh, we now focus exclusively on the UK and in a very uh, defined area, uh, dealing with disadvantaged young people, uh, helping them to get the best possible outcome from their education and improving the best, giving them the best chances of being ready for work. Uh, so that's, as I say, very focused and it is very much that package that I've talked about, the long-term strategic funding, hands-on support and uh, pro bono projects. Right, right. That's interesting. Now, where do profits fit in? <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, it'd be good to talk about social investments, and it's very closely related to uh, venture philanthropy, but just sticking to venture philanthropy. Venture philanthropy is a very broad, we call it a broad church in the European Venture Philanthropy Association. Um, so we do try and encompass a whole range of different techniques uh, and different methods of investment, uh, and um, as, as I've implied, that you know, in, in Europe, for example, it many different approaches, uh, many different countries taking different approaches. So some of those do include uh, a return for the investors, for the donors, if you like. Uh, the model that Impetus has uh, chosen to adopt. Uh, does not. So it, our model is purely philanthropic. So yeah, we ask people for donations, and the investment side is really how we work with organisations. We are uh, dealing them with them. We're, our relationship with them is very similar to a supportive venture capitalist relationship. So as I said, it's a very hands-on relationship, very close relationship. Critical friend is one of the ways it's been described. Uh, but in the case of uh, of impetus, impetus PEF, it is a purely philanthropic relationship rather than one where we or our investors are looking for any sort of return. 
Right, right. Could you maybe talk about a, a few projects that you've been involved in, or maybe one or two, you know, briefly to give us a sense of maybe a trajectory and characteristics of a project? Yes. Um, one, of, one of the uh, projects that I uh, particularly uh, like, which I think is a, a good example of the sort of work we do, and we have been working with them for quite a long time, uh, so I think it does sort of illustrate the phases in the relationship. So one, one of the uh, charities we work with is, is called Into University, and it does pretty well what, they, what it says on the tin. So it helps disadvantaged young people who wouldn't have dreamt of going to university, helps them to get to university or some equivalent um, tertiary education. Uh, when we started working with them, they're in a small church hall in a in, uh, disadvantaged part of London um, uh, with... Uh, income of under a quarter of a million pounds a year. Uh, they were serving, I think it was about 800 young people uh, you know, going through their programs. They're now serving about 20,000 young people from about 20 centres around the UK they have partnerships with various universities that they just set up recently in uh, Bristol, which is a partnership between uh, Bristol, Exeter and Bath universities. So, you know, evolved enormously and uh, you know, obviously the organisation has grown, the structure has grown, and we feel very proud of that relationship. We've provided a, uh, that we've been working with them for uh, probably eight, eight, nine years now, uh, and we've provided them with uh, a package of support amounting to the order of a million pounds uh, over the first five years, uh, which included the yeah, the value of the uh, time, the expertise that we've provided through our pro bono experts and our team, and we've committed to another uh, five years uh, of similar amounts of, of funding and, and support. So I think that's a good example of what we're trying to achieve. Um, clearly not all of them will be that successful, but that's certainly been a, a huge success. Great story, great success, as you say. Talking to you know the social innovators, the social entrepreneurs, finding money at an early stage of development to support your you know the growth of the the organisation is acutely challenging. There must be an endless demand for you know for venture philanthropy of the kind that you provide, which is you know that support and investment, which isn't looking for financial returns in in and so forth. Uh, yes, there certainly is, and and I think it's one of the um, the challenges we face is to manage expectations so that people who are looking to work with us uh, or, you know, it's, this is very much a two-way relationship. So often we will approach an organisation that we think fits our criteria and, and try and persuade them to work with us. So it could be either way. Uh, but when we approach them, we do make it very clear that this isn't for everybody. And uh, I think one of the... Uh, very positive things about the structure of charities in the UK is there's a huge number uh, of very small organisations and people say, oh, that must be very inefficient. No, they're in many ways they're the most efficient because they're serving some local cause. they based in the community where they operate. Uh, the trustees, donors, workers are often the same people, often no paid employees. So very cost effective. And the last thing they should do is try and scale up. So we are looking for the ones who have a proven model, uh, who want to scale up. You know, this isn't going to work unless they're very committed to this. It's, you know, there's a lot of commitment involved. Um, uh, and and so I think you know, this, this is what is uh, you know, right for the organisation, for the social entrepreneur, they have to be ambitious. They have to 
recognise that they do need help in some areas. They have to welcome quite a an intrusive process. We go through a due diligence process, very much like a, 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 a venture capitalist, private equity firm would go through, very thorough, looking at every aspect of the organisation, quite testing. Um, so it is a very engaged relationship. And if people are just looking for the money, then venture philanthropy uh, is, isn't the right uh, partner for them. Right, right. That's very interesting. How do um, the social entrepreneurs find the process? What are some of the, you know, areas where maybe that some could further develop things that they might insights about how to approach presenting their case and thinking about that? I think they they've all found it challenging, but they've also said, yeah, probably the best test is the ones where in the end it hasn't gone forward, uh, either because they've uh, decided it's not for them or more often we've decided that they don't fit after doing you know, quite a lot of analysis work. Uh, and the feedback we've had from those is, you know, very sorry it didn't go further, but it was an extremely valuable process. You've asked us questions that other people hadn't asked. You've really made us think about what we're doing, who we're trying to serve and, and how we can do that more more effectively. So I think uh, it it is uh, a positive experience, e- yeah, even at that sort of beginning. And, and the, we do regularly test the feedback uh, from those who have been through the whole process. And again, uh, that's uh, uh, pretty universally a very positive uh, experience. One of the problems in the philanthropic funding world is that many funders are very narrow in their criteria. Uh, and charities, social enterprises looking for funding get used to perhaps in some cases contorting what they're doing uh, to fit into those criteria. And so it becomes a bit of a, a dance. Um, and the same applies you know, when they have the funding, they have to report on in ways that perhaps don't naturally fit with what the way they normally look at things. So we are very different from that. We look at the organisation, warts and all, and you know, if there are weaknesses, that's you know, fine as long as they're not terminal because that's what we do. We try and you know, build on the strengths and, and try and uh, uh, work on the weaknesses to improve the, against the weaknesses. Um, so it's a very open relationship. Uh, we want to hear absolutely about the problems. We want to hear absolutely about their frustrations, about what uh, we can do to help to to make them more effective, to make them uh, put them in a position to grow more rapidly. So I think that's perhaps the the most important thing uh, that I would say to social entrepreneurs looking for financial philanthropy funding: be open, you know, sell sell your organisation, be positive about it, be enthusiastic about it. That's vital, but don't cover up some of the areas where there are weaknesses where there is room for improvement because uh, you know if you're absolutely perfect then you don't need uh, venture philanthropy right right that's interesting the question of profits is an interesting one i think in the social sector clearly one of the potential advantages of social entrepreneurial business models is at least making some kind of revenues and being perhaps more sustainable in the longer term, more independent in that way. Clearly, not every situation has the potential for profits. How do you look at that question in terms of the you know, revenue side of social innovation with respect to sustaining organizations to create change? Sustainability is absolutely crucial. It's, it's, it's fundamental. When we're looking at an organization, it's one of the first questions we ask. Can, you know, is this organization sustainable? If there are doubts about that, 
if there are vulnerabilities, how can we make it more sustainable over the course of, of our, say, five-year relationship with them? Um, if there is a source of earned income, uh, that's great. And, and we many of the projects we get involved in uh, centre around assessing and then developing, building that earned income activity, that social enterprise activity, if you like, within a, what may be a, a previously a purely charitable organisation dependent on, on donations and grants. Uh, so, so I think it is very, you know, it's an absolutely crucial area for our work, but there are some where it's just impossible to find that source of earned income. And you know, we, we've had quite a number of charities we've worked with who've been searching for that, looking for that holy grail and uh, weren't able to find it. Well, that's okay. You know, as long as uh, there are other sources of funding uh, that provide that sustainability and probably the key to that is a spread. So being totally dependent on government contracts, for example, is, is a pretty vulnerable place to be. Uh, being dependent on a very small number of uh, private individuals or, or foundations, trusts and foundations to fund you equally, that's not healthy. So having a spread of maybe a mix of those different types of funder is one of the crucial things we try and develop over, over the course of our relationship. Right, that's interesting. And more and more people I speak to talk about this kind of hybrid form where they're getting different kinds of capital from different sources, which again also can increase the challenges they have to manage, not least within an organization where they may have different kinds of values and talk about their work in different ways. Yes, I think that's that cultural challenge is, is really important and recognizing that this is a, a different type of manage challenge. I'm, I'm a, a trustee of a, uh, a charity that called, it's called Sanitation First, um, which again does roughly what it says on the tin. So we uh, provide sanitation in uh, India and Africa. Uh, and we are working on a social enterprise, uh, which is basically selling, uh, converting the waste that is produced uh, into a very high quality compost. Uh, and so that's obviously, you know, a social enterprise um, and we're very enthusiastic about that we think that has the potential to pay for the uh, installation of the of the toilets um, but we'd also recognize this needs very different business skills we brought in um, uh, a guy who had a couple of months uh, on sabbatical from McKinsey to help us on the business plan and we're very much looking for commercial people to help us in the implementation of that but, but as you say the the cultural challenge can be a very difficult one for uh, charities that are very much uh, from a charitable background, if you like, um, because it does need very different skills, very different personalities in some cases, uh, to really look for those business opportunities and, and develop them most effectively. And that's often a cause of friction, often a cause of uh, great disappointment when these uh, fantastic looking ideas and fantastic looking individuals who are meant to be driving them actually don't don't work out yeah it's just another layer of complexity to already challenging situation for many social innovators what would you say are some of the causes where your venture philanthropy isn't suitable i think it's very widely applicable it's been great to see organizations like the european venture philanthropy association and the huge variety of of models and of sectors 
that are covered in that organization. So it's, you know, a lot of them are domestic, quite focused, as Impetus PEF is, um, but quite a lot operate internationally, a whole range of different uh, sectors that are covered. I think the most the most difficult area is where it's uh, very long term in, in its impact and perhaps very hard to measure that impact. So an example of that would be a, a campaigning organisation. So if you're working on, it might be a range of issues, but uh, a particular area of, of campaigning of social issues that you're trying to change policy in, um, it's very long term. It's very hard to attribute causality. You know, there's been a change in the legislation on whatever it is. Was that because you were doing this? Was that because it was going to change anyway? Extremely difficult to measure impact. And one of the key features of venture philanthropy is very robust impact measurement. Uh, yeah, again, it's the background of the individuals from venture capital private equity industry very keen on making sure that a particular model is successful, testing it against alternative models. So impact assessment is absolutely a crucial part of what we do. If you can't do that, uh, it, it means venture philanthropy is quite, quite hard to apply. Right, right. That's very interesting. I just wonder, and again, having talked to several social entrepreneurs about the challenge of a pilot scheme of showing the case, proving the case for their work and the impact that they have. I, I don't know whether you could talk a little bit about that and any insights you have, because it does seem to be a particular hurdle and one that, you know, organizations need to deal with if they're going to raise certain kinds of funds. I guess we generally get involved when there has been a pilot scheme. Um, we don't get involved with startups. They are typically, say, quarter of a million pounds income when we first get involved, maybe, yeah, maybe half a million, maybe more than that. Uh, and the yeah, smaller the organisation, the more work we need to do to build build the foundation. So we want organisations that have got some reasonable infrastructure to work with. So the pilot stage is, is absolutely vital. And, and that's what we will be looking at when we're assessing the the model, the business model, if you like, of the organisation. And, and we're not looking for perfection at that stage. We're looking for yeah, reasonable evidence that the model is working, that it is having an impact, that it does uh, what the organisation is set up to do. It's remarkable how often an you go along to an organisation, ask them what they do, and they say, well, we serve... Um, you know, young people with a particular social uh, issue, you then look at their work and they've drifted a long way away from that original starting point. Uh, so I think that's really important that the pilot is bang on mission, that it does really demonstrate that the core of what they're trying to, uh, the problem they're trying to solve is being solved and that there is evidence that this, this is a sustainable model, this is a scalable model. So I think a lot hangs on that pilot. It's not, you know, it's, it's the beginning uh, the beginning of the story. It's uh, a long way to go, but, but it is an absolutely vital step. Right, it's fascinating. What about the impact side of things? Briefly, if you have any insights into that, as you say, there's some situations where it's you know, clearly very difficult to, to attribute impact. More generally, have you any insights or advice given the number of entrepreneurs that you've spoken to on this journey and the number of projects you've looked at? I think it's it is a very overused word. It's you know, it's the right word, um, uh, but people use it in very different ways and abuse it 
uh, and you know, government, for example, talks a huge amount about impact and, and it's very demanding in terms of the impact uh, measurement it looks for in the organisations it, it, it provides funding to or, or gives contracts to increasingly these days. Um, but uh, I think it's something we've, uh, as I say, focused on. It's a fundamental part of venture philanthropy. But in the last few years, I think we've uh, raised our game from what was already a yeah, silver silver standard to gold gold standard. And I think we've realised just how few of the organisations who really do apply that gold standard. It is, as I say, it's a very rigorous process. It goes back to some very basic questions about why the organisation exists, who they're trying to help, how they will know whether they've succeeded, um, how that is uh, attributable to their work as opposed to some other factor that was uh, just you know, carrying them you know, like boats on, on a tide. Um, so um, it is vital. Uh, it is very easy to underestimate the difficulty of doing it in a robust fashion. It's one of the first things we work on with every organisation we come across. And it's surprising how difficult they find that but also how vulnerable they find that being asked those very basic questions we did this on ourselves yeah before we imposed this on other people we went through this process ourselves we were surprised and somewhat shocked by what came out of that process and i think i would recommend it to anybody to go through that very rigorous theory of change or driving impact process which uh, which we do Excellent. You mentioned an interesting perspective, which runs contrary to some that you hear in terms of the number of smaller organizations, startups and little social enterprises and so forth, and that that brings benefits. In some areas, there's a proliferation of organizations dealing with the same problem in different ways or not. You know, if you look at cancer, for example, you might may find there's hundreds and hundreds of different organizations and maybe not all of them are actually doing things in a different way. And I'm just wondering, in general, how well you think social entrepreneurs partner or manage to learn and get insights from others working in very similar areas to them, working with similar kinds of problems or similar targets. I, I think it is a weakness in the in the social sector and business people com- coming into the charity world often are the worst culprits. They don't do their due diligence they don't have a thorough look around as to who is doing something in the area that they uh, want want to get involved in and set something up reinvent the wheel when there's a perfectly good organization there already um so i, I think there is an issue there um but yes as you say there are also a huge number of niches as there are in the business world and the fact that from the outside you may seem to be doing something very similar to somebody else uh, doesn't mean that it is identical. Um, I think one of the biggest problems in the social sector is the difficulty of mergers. Um, it's it's We've been through a merger. Impetus is now Impetus PEF, so we merged three years ago with the Private Equity Foundation. Uh, and it was something we've been talking about for years and years. Um, but generally, it's incredibly difficult because you have a group of trustees who aren't paid and so you can't pay them off. They often have great loyalty to their chief executive and so you can't have two chief executives, which one is going to be the chief executive in the combined organisation. Um, so there are much greater barriers to mergers than there are in the corporate world where money solves a 
huge number of problems. Um, but there is a need for it. And I, I think we, uh, every organization should ask itself, should we be cooperating? Should we be you know, have some long-term partnership? Should we share back office functions, which can be a huge uh, source of, of savings? Should we merge? Uh, and I think it is it is a duty to to look at that and say, yes, there's this organization down the road. We have some differences, but if we put these organizations together, yeah, we would save on some costs. Uh, we would have a greater impact. We might be better at fundraising. You know, all sorts of ways in which there could be a benefit from merger. And I think uh, more organizations should look at that. Now, social entrepreneurship has evolved, and it's you know one way of describing, I guess, this kind of social innovation. And how do you see this area evolving now? I think it has evolved enormously. I've been involved in the sector for, I'd say, of the order of fifteen years, and I've seen enormous change over that time. Uh, I think probably the biggest change in terms of social entrepreneurs is more people coming from the business world. That doesn't mean you know, business is better, uh, but there is a, a set of skills that those people bring. If they can be combined with empathy with the cause, with the, the uh, knowledge and experience that people in the charity sector have about how to solve social problems, I think that's a very powerful combination. So social entrepreneurs becoming uh, chief executives of organisations, founding uh, organisations, um, uh, donors, venture philanthropists. Oh, there's a whole raft of intermediaries that have sprung up, providing advice, providing support of one sort or another uh, for uh, charities, for funders, to improve the impact of funding, to improve the performance of the social sector organisation. So I think that has been a huge change over the last 15 years, and I don't see that slowing up uh, over the next 10, 15 years. I think the other big change I'd mention is is the role of government. Government is yeah, the biggest single funder by a long way. It's 30 40% uh, of the social sector funding. Uh, government is under huge pressure around the world, but particularly uh, in the UK, to be more efficient, to save, to save money, uh, to achieve more with less. So techniques like venture philanthropy are extremely valuable when you're trying to do that. There are a lot of that is about efficiency and effectiveness, um, but also some of the newer uh, techniques that have come along, uh, things like social investment, social impact bonds, particularly, I think are very relevant to government funding, and it's a great. Um, sort of win-win situation from government's point of view because the social sector takes most of the risk uh, and the government only pays when the performance is, the impact is at a certain level. So I think that's something that will become much more widespread. And and as I say, the professionalisation of the social sector, I think, is the other trend that has uh, been very evident over the last 10, 15 years and, and will continue to be a very strong uh, force in the future. And venture philanthropy, what do you see there? I, I think it's, as I say, it is a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, and you know, It's not yet uh, in every continent, but I see that uh, happening over the next 10, 15 years. And it will be very different in Africa and South America. It's very different in developing, developing countries 
compared with more established uh, economies. But I think you know your the great uh, benefit of working in those sort of areas is that your money goes so much further. So you can achieve a huge amount with relatively small amounts of money. Uh, I think a, a lot of in those areas, I think it would be very much a social investment model uh, because there isn't the philanthropic infrastructure for charities and, and more traditional uh, social enterprises to uh, to thrive and to to obtain funding uh, so I think those uh, those are elements of venture philanthropy which will be uh, extremely important and uh, yeah I, I, I see it uh, yeah, social investment we talked about a little bit which I think is a really important trend but if you're, if a government, for example, is looking for an organisation to deliver a social impact bond, it needs a robust organisation. It needs an organisation that's very good at measuring impact because that's what social impact bonds are all about. So it needs, in many cases, a venture philanthropy partner to uh, bring that organisation to to be investment ready, so that it can. Uh, benefit from a social impact bond, it can deliver a social impact bond. Uh, so I think there's a, yeah, that social investment and venture philanthropy go absolutely hand in hand and see that being another another major trend over the next few years. Fantastic. I was going to ask you a last question, but I just should ask for clarification. When you say social investment, what does that comprise? What? How do you see that? I think it is an investment which achieves both social and financial returns. Uh, and there's a spectrum from you know, a very small uh, financial return to a, a fully commercial financial return and different organisations at different points on that spectrum and progress along that spectrum generally in the direction of more financial return, not at the expense of the social return, but being able to um, develop the model to a point where it can make you know, good surpluses and sanitation first. Uh, I mentioned that I'm a trustee of is a good example of that. It's, to date, it's been purely philanthropic, but we see ourselves moving much more in the direction of being a social investment or impact investment uh, organisation. Uh, so I, I think it is a very powerful technique. It's a very flexible uh, technique. Uh, but again, one I can see growing, growing very much over the next uh, decade. That's been brilliant, Stephen. I really appreciate it, you taking the time. It's, it's been fascinating to talk to you about this. And what about you, Stephen? Where's your interest at the moment? You're not involved anymore, I, I take it, in Impetus PEF. Where are you focusing and what are your plans? Uh, I am still a trustee of Impetus PEF. So um, I said we met, went through a merger three years ago uh, and I thought it was important to uh, see that through. It's now uh, working very well. We have a new chief executive who's just joined us very recently. Uh, so uh, I could certainly see myself stepping down from that in the in the not too distant future. Um, but as I also mentioned, I've become a trustee of Sanitation First. So that's become a, a big part of uh, what I'm doing at the moment. It's uh, at the sort of stage where Impetus uh, might have got involved. Uh, so it's uh, a relatively small organisation, uh, but with a model that we believe is very exciting. This potential for earned income is is great. We're really able to demonstrate our social impact. Uh, so so it's a very exciting position. There's a lot of work to be done internally to get our uh, structures and processes and people, you know, the right people in the right jobs. Uh, but uh, I see that as being a very exciting uh, organisation to be involved in. 
Well, I wish you the very best of success with that, Stephen. And thank you so much for sharing your insights and expertise on inspiring social entrepreneurs today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.